This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome. I'm Greg Gonnerman with Laramita Cellars and Chiricahua Ranch Vineyards. I'm here today with Cody. Hello. Cody Burkett, the Wine Monk, the Arizona Wine Monk. Arizona Wine Monk, and also uh, Master and Commander of the Make America Grape Again podcast. And today we're discussing Petit Monsong. It's spelled Petit Mansang, but the French pronounce it something more like Petit Monsong. A very popular grape, a new, an up-and-coming grape in Arizona, and I think it's great with great potential here in, in Arizona. It is a great of great potential. Great potential. You love your puns. I do. So I love Petit Monsang in the vineyard because it is a, uh, it's very resistant to uh, rot and mildew. We can get a touch of that in our monsoon rain. And uh, I love it also because uh, when fully ripe, when, when at 25 degrees breaks, which is a measure of sweetness, when it reaches that point, which is a perfectly good point for dry wine, uh, the grapes are still small and green and unappealing to birds. And we have to net uh, basically all of our grapes except for the Petit Monson. So I love the vineyard. It's, it's trouble-free. It, we don't have any issues with bird predation. And I also love it in the vineyard, uh, well actually I love it in the winery because it produces fantastic acidity. And many of our whites in our warm summer days will lose acidity as they approach ripeness. And that's really uh, challenging. And Timonsong does not. It is, it is bright and crisp even when overripe. And that's really probably why the French have long produced it as a sweet late season wine. Especially popular in Jurançon and neighboring areas. That's where most French Petit Monsang is found. Uh, they do make dry ones, but, uh, well, it's hard to find even the, the sweet ones here in Arizona. I've tried, but uh, I was hoping to find a, a French one for this, but time was short. So you brought a Virginia example. I did. So this Virginia example I bought with in mind, actually, to drink with you alongside the Greggs about two years ago. So we, well, we get around to things eventually. It's taken us a while to get, get this video done. <laughs> But uh, this particular version uh, is from Granite Heights, uh, which is located in the Virginia Piedmont. According to them, their slogan is, the wine comes first, so basically wine comes before anything else. Stay humble with us and enjoy. Now, I've talked to a producer in Virginia, not this producer, but I talked to a, a grower of Team on Song in Virginia. Interestingly, they like it for some of the same reasons that we like it. They don't necessarily have issues with maintaining acidity in their whites, but they do have a lot of issues with rot and mildew, and they find it's a very durable grape and uh, it's not prone to those issues. And for that same reason, uh, the Kingdom of Bhutan recently instituted a winemaking and wine growing and grape growing program, and at the top of their list was also Petit Mansang for those same reasons, because they are a tropical country in the high mountains, so they get cooler air, but they still get a lot of rain and a lot of potential problems with mildew and the like. So uh, basically the king said, we want wine in our country, pick grapes that will work, and they basically got a bunch of French and American grape growers together to decide what to do, and Petit Mansang came out at the top of the list. Now, how did you discover this? Uh, I found this actually uh, in the airport. Um, there's a uh, back east and slightly better airports in Sky Harbor. Uh, there are 
are wine shops and places, and a lot of times they sell local wine. So I got this at the Dulles Airport in D.C. when I was flying in to visit my godchildren. I didn't get a chance to visit any of the wineries that trip, but uh, I was looking on the shortlist for Petit Mansen, so I was excited to see this. Now this has a really nice nose, nice aromatics. Is this 100% Petit Mansen? Correct. <laughs> Fermented to dry, as far as I was able to discern from uh, talking with the winemaker. I think there's a touch of residual sugar on this. Yeah. I'd say probably about one to three. Maybe their definition of dry is different than ours. It's, it's just very slightly off dry. It's a lovely wine. Nice, nice acidity. And you're always going to get that fantastic acidity in Petit Monsang, no matter where it's produced. And here, uh, you know, my, my exposure to Arizona Petit Monsang has been rather limited. You mentioned Greg's. Just to give you a little background, Greg's is uh, from Kent Callaghan. Kent Callaghan is the one that inspired me to grow Petit Monsang. He actually suggested Petit Monsang as a bridal that would do well here, here in Arizona. And I planned it, and he's bought it from me every year. And he's been, he's such a such a great guy. He named his Petit Monsang Greg's after me. So I thought that was really classy of him. And it's just, it's just such a bright, crisp, dry Petit Monsang. We'll get to that in a minute. This one has surprisingly good aromatics, and I'm a little bit suspicious of that. Um, Why is that? I just, I, exposure it's really for me Petit Monsang has been more about the acidity the crispness the vibrancy and this I do you think maybe there's a touch of Viognier in this it's possible since it is from Virginia and they might grow some Viognier and they might grow some Viognier but at the very least according to labeling laws in the U.S. we know that at the very least this is 75 percent oh yeah Petit Monsang which yeah. counts as a varietal sure anything more than that you can't call by that variety at the very least, we can say this is majority Petit Mansang. But I, uh, when I tasted the Greggs, the very old one, originally, I do remember there being a lot of aromatics. Okay. So it could be just... It's not necessarily atypical. Not necessarily atypical. And, of course, we don't know anything about French Petit Mansang. No, I've never had. And I'd love to have one. Um, they're just kind of hard to find in the U.S. You probably searched and... I did. Yeah. There was a couple of wine shops back east... I looked into getting one, but uh, the shipping would have been taking us into February or March yeah. before it got here. Right. Well, this, this is a fantastic uh, Petit Monsang from uh, Granite Heights. So kudos to Granite Heights for making a, a lovely Petit Monsang. Just a, a touch of, of residual sugar, nice aromatics. I'm a little bit suspicious there might be something blended in, but just this bright, bright acidity. This would be great. What, what would you pair this with? My immediate thought is Thai food. Yeah. Uh, pad Thai, specifically chicken or tofu, depending on if you're a vegetarian or vegan. Also, maybe if you want to accentuate the acidity and citrus, lemon meringue pie. That'd be an interesting combination. If you like, you know, if you want your mouth to water with acidity, because um, some people do. So why don't we compare this to the earlier vintage we have of Kent Callaghan's uh, Greg's Petit Monsang. This is the 15. Yes, 15. Side by side. You're right. This is much more muted than I remember. Yeah. Petit Monsang is, is a lovely single varietal wine, but it's really all about the acidity, more so than aromatics. I'm getting some of the same white floral character, but it's much more muted, sort of like a gardenia, orange blossom, lemon peel, a little bit of hair. Now, on the finish, very 
subtle nuttiness. Last time I had this, I got the same thing on the finish, very subtle nuttiness, and I, I asked Kent if he had it in any new oak or once or twice used oak, and he said no, it was, should be totally devoid of any, any oak characteristics. I mean, he could have aged it Sir Lee for a little bit, too. And I think that's probably where it comes from. Because I know he does like to do his whites a little bit of Sir Lee, which is a good thing for most whites. It adds a little bit of mid-palate and character that otherwise would be lacking. Absolutely. Uh, when it comes down to it, I prefer whites that have some time on the leaves rather than none at all. Uh, I love how he describes it as an, another esoteric variety from southwestern France. <laughs> uh, I, I assume the other one he's talking about in his case room is Tanat. Yeah. Now, there is one thing I would like to say about farming Deep Mound Seng from my experience in the vineyard, as that it is the most difficult grape I harvested for Greg. Oh, yeah. That is its one drawback. It's, it's tedious to harvest. It produces tiny clusters. It tends to be moderately vigorous, and I grow mine on 1103P rootstock. Most grapevines are grown on a hybrid or American rootstock, so they're impervious to certain pests like phylloxera and uh, nematodes and that kind of thing. So... Um, it, 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 that 1103P rootstock does promote a certain amount of vigor, and you have this, this dense canopy and these tiny clusters, and it is tedious and takes forever to harvest. That's its only drawback in the vineyard. Otherwise, it, it's perfect. Yeah, it took us, for the same amount, we, how many vines do you have of that right now? Only about a quarter acre. But I, well, I've got another half acre coming online this, this year. So okay. we, you lost saw it as just a quarter acre. So a quarter acre, which is the same as you had of other varietals, like I think Merlot. And the Merlot took, you know, four or five hours to harvest. This took, it took all night. eight, yeah. eight or nine hours and to we, harvest. We picked the, the whites definitely, and, and most of the reds, we picked them late at night or early in the morning to preserve the aromatics. You don't want to pick them in the heat of the day because all those lovely aromatic molecules tend to evaporate in, into the ether and you lose them. So, uh, yeah, it was an all-night affair picking up the Timon song. It, it always has been. I want to mention I'm so committed to this variety that uh, we planted another half acre a couple years ago. We're adding to that another acre this spring and I want to have at least two and a half acres of Petimon Song before I'm done. And to my knowledge, you have the biggest planting of Petimon Song already. It's going to be now twice as large as anyone else's. It's, I think the only other person who's growing any of it at all is Kent. Kent. So, yeah, it, it's surprising that this variety is uh, doesn't have a larger acreage uh, committed to it here in Arizona. It really is a, a great variety for Arizona. I don't know why more people aren't growing it. So it's interesting comparing these two side by side. Again, I think Granite Heights may have blended in a little bit of something into this, maybe a touch of Viognier. It could have also been the style of their winemaking, too. Could have been. It could have been the climate, the terroir. Yeah. With Kent's, we get a more uh, a leaner, crisper example of Petit Monson. Although, speaking of Petit Monson, I'm reminded, Emil Mullen at Cove Mesa Vineyards is planning on planting Petit Monson here in the Verde this year. Right. Because he was calling me about two weeks ago asking if anyone other than he was growing. Yeah, he asked me some questions about it as well. So I hope I hope this is just the start. Yeah, the team on song. I'd be curious to see the differences in the long term between Verde Valley, where it's a little bit more humid, especially where he's going to be growing, versus here. Yeah, and I think we might uh, see that humidity. And this is my guess that more humid conditions provide more aromatics for this grape. It could. I could see that. That's just my personal hunch. But I think uh, with with higher humidity comes cooler temperatures, and certainly with cooler cooler weather. And maybe that's why the, the, the example from Virginia is more aromatic. Maybe in a, with cooler weather, it preserves more of those aromatics. But uh, two, two great examples. Now, we talked about pairing with the granite site. How would you pair 
the uh, the Greggs. Shrimp scampi. I think it's a great idea. Shrimp scampi or ceviche. Yeah. I want shrimp or fish, and I want it tropical. I still want that high acidity, but I want something more, not necessarily more substantial. This to me just screams finger food. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Thai with this, and this has that hint of sweetness, which would would help mute really, really spicy Thai food. So I can definitely see the Grand Heights working with Thai. And anyway, let's let's try one more example. Yeah, I'm curious about uh, younger because here's the thing: for those uh, keeping watch at home. These vintages, you know, we've got a 14 and a 15. We're now in 2021. You can see that this is a white that ages well, which is uh, not always something easy to find. And I think it's that high acidity that really lends well to long-term aging. Yeah, and this is the 17 Greggs from 10 Calgan, Calgan Vineyards. I'm getting more of an orange peel, and the aromatics are a little bit stronger. Yeah, I think they are. Uh, the orange peel is about the only real different character. I'm getting on the nose. All the other characters that we got in the original Greggs, that sort of lemon peel, orange blossom, white flower, they're all here, just a little bit more intense. And I'm not getting that subtle nuttiness on the finish like I was with the 15. Yeah, the acidity is a little stronger here, too. But to me, this suggests that it was not aged. Certainly. Well, it may have been picked a little bit earlier. That's I'm, true. I should have brought my notes with me. I can tell you when, when we pick these. Uh, we, we, we always try for around 25 degrees bricks, which amazingly puts pH down around 2.95 to 3. That is crazy. Low. Just to give you a point of reference, most whites are picked at maybe 3, uh, 3.2, 3.3, 3.4, so lower pH means higher acidity, of course, and 2.95 to 3, that's that's very tart, very tart yeah. wine. So, Do we want to explore anything in the big red book? I don't think so. I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground with this. We talked about it in the uh, how it performs in the vineyard, how it performs in the uh, winery. Of course, it also, as a, having so much acidity, it becomes a, a great blender. Great opportunities here for blending this with the varieties that don't produce great acidity, but otherwise are great wines, like the Roussan. I grow a lot of Roussan, and it's a marvelous wine, but uh, can come in with a higher pH. I will say uh, that the earliest mention of this grape seems to be in 1562, okay. in a text written in Akatan. I'm not even going to try and read it because my French is uh, atrocious. But the name Mansang could derive from Mansang meaning mansion or, or chateau. So it could have been something grown by rich folks originally. Mm -hmm. Genetically, it's apparently close to gross mansang, surprising absolutely neither of us. But the most likely pedigree is a progeny of Savignon and one of the parents of gross mansang. There's about 1,019 hectares or 2,518 acres in France as of 2009. And the total planted area is continuing to rise. So that's something uh, to look out for. It's also one of the grapes used in Chocolina, which is a slightly effervescent, high acid white wine coming from Spanish Basque Country. So it's one of those, along with Hondurabi Zurbi, wait, that's the red, or is it? One of the Hondurabis, as well as Petit Mansang, are used to create this really bright, high acid, really fantastic Spanish white wine that uh, I highly recommend, actually. Um, but the very first Petit Mansang in the US was produced in Virginia. Not from this vineyard, it was produced from Chrysalis Vineyards, and they have uh, 63 acres planted, basically within a year spread throughout much of Virginia. Doesn't give a number now how much acreage there is, but I'd venture to say probably around 250. It's also being grown in South Carolina, Georgia, and North Carolina. 
And Arizona. And Arizona, which they, of course, don't list here. Well, that was 2009. We weren't growing any in 2009. This is true. But uh, suffice to say, this is a great grape, I think, for uh, the future of Arizona winemaking. I think my favorite is the 15. Uh, again, I love this Granite Heights, uh, the Timon Granite, uh, The Granite Heights has a place, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I think my favorite is definitely the 15 grapes. It's aged beautifully. So if you want to get the Granite Heights Petit Monsong, unfortunately, you may have to travel to the uh, through the Dulles Airport or uh, through or Virginia. Through the, through the website, I imagine. Okay. Um, I also know that Raffaldini in North Carolina is growing it, and I believe they have a sparkling sweet version. Oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, they did in the past, anyway, according to uh, Gary Kurtz, who used to work there. If you want the Greggs, the Petit Monsong from Ken Callaghan, you'll need to visit him at the, his tasting room. I don't believe that he sells this outside of his tasting room. Correct. On that note, cheers. Cheers. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at the AZ Wine Monk, or on Twitter at CV Burkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com.